This is the Passive Income Investor Podcast, hosted by Matt Dorn and Aaron Merriman. This podcast features discussions and interviews related to conservative passive income investing. We focus on long-term wealth building and tax-efficient income strategies. So thank you for joining us today, everybody. Matt and I are really excited about today's topic, and we're going to be talking about embracing illiquidity. Um, embracing illiquidity in our investments and really not being focused on checking the value of our portfolio, a specific stock, whatever that investment may be, but really looking at thinking about being a long-term investor and focusing on your long-term goal and not getting neurotic and thinking about every little thing and what's the value every second. Um, This is Aaron Merriman and a little bit about LMDG for those of you that might be joining this podcast for the first time. Lujan Merriman Development Group is based here in Southern California in Orange County. We're a multifamily real estate investment company. We focus on smaller apartment buildings, typically 5 to 15 units in really desirable areas here in Southern California. Uh, It's primarily coastal property. Um, and what we like to do is we we buy these great historical buildings, um, typically 75 to 100 years old. We renovate them uh, to compete with new construction. And, and this allows us to attract great tenants, um, add a lot of value, and, and generate some nice yield. So thanks again for joining us today. Uh, Matt, tell us a little bit about Sage. Yes, thank you very much. This is Matt Doran, um, Sage Wealth Planning which is a registered investment advisory firm domiciled in Michigan. We are a planning-centric and tax-focused financial planning firm. And uh, we like to do comprehensive, holistic planning that examines the various aspects of an individual or family's financial life and the interaction of those aspects and, and how we can harmonize and make most efficient all those moving pieces. Awesome. So Matt, let's jump into this, you know, embracing illiquidity. And it it's not a term that gets thrown around very often. Um, it's something that you and I love to talk about. You know, for me, being a real estate investor, it, it's about as illiquid and hard to mark to market, so to speak, as you can do. That being said, we do with our investors, um, you know, try to do some updates and we are very geographically focused so we can do some stuff to, to have a high degree of accuracy on the value of those assets. But it's not something where someone can go on their phone and check an app and, and you know, know in a, every millisecond what the value of something is. So, you know, t- talk to us from your side uh, talk to us a little bit about that and why, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense to be, you know, it is, it is a good thing, right? It is a good thing to be in an illiquid asset, uh, asset because of some of the psychological impacts that it can have on long-term uh, investing and, wealth, and, and wealth growth. Yeah. I mean, just like everything, the key is balance, right? I mean, people need liquid investments as well to meet short-term cash needs or unexpected expenses that come up or, you know, ongoing operational expenses. The problem is when everything is super liquid, it can encourage the wrong behaviors, right? So let's back up a little bit and talk about what illiquidity or liquidity actually means. So 
liquidity actually refers to how quickly something can be converted into cash and preferably converted into cash without dramatic fluctuation in value. So we've all heard the terms, you know, locked up, tied up, and and they're generally uh, associated with something that's negative. But the term that probably isn't as well known, which we call marked to market, is how liquid investments work. It, liquid investments, which are marked to market at least every day and generally hundreds of times during the day, are reflecting what a particular asset or investment could be sold for, converted to cash um, quickly, right? How, how much would it be worth if you converted it to cash right now? And in investing, that can be counterproductive because success in investing requires having faith in the future. It Time for things to develop, the reliance on ingenuity and innovation and population growth and new products, new markets, new efficiencies, new technologies, new synergies, a rising standard of living that's happening across the globe. And faith in the future requires managing the present, right? In order to get the outcomes we're seeking, we need to manage how we're feeling in the present, which isn't always good. So the benefit of having a balance of liquid and illiquid investments is that the ones that aren't marked to market, in other words, the ones that can't be readily converted to cash, in our minds hold their value in a more stable way. And they don't prompt us to run for the exits, either to cash in on a short-term profit or to run for the exits because we think it's going lower in value. We just think of them differently because they're not as accessible. Right, right. No, and and we, you know, from our from our side, you know, we see that in the psychology of different investors that we have, right? Because you you have investors that are more focused on getting that rental income distribution or whatever type of distribution that might be as quickly as possible, and and they're really ignoring the value creation piece that is harder to quantify, right? And, and in our business, that's something that is a big part of our business. I mean, we have a property right now that, you know, we're into it for 4.2 million. We've owned it for a year and we have an offer for five and a half million dollars. That property has not generated $1 of positive cash flow. It's 100% value creation. Now that's an extreme example for, for our business, but you know, there, there's investors that totally get that and understand that and they're fine with that. And there's others that would prefer something that allows them to step into more of a, you know, either immediate or as quickly as possible distribution model. And they're, and they're getting something and, and, and it kind of ignoring that value piece. Yeah, and let's face it, I mean, holding periods have gotten shorter for, on everything. You know, my parents bought their first home in the, I don't know, the early 70s, and it was a ridiculously low amount by today's standards, right? Well, inflation is part of what pushes the value of hard assets up over really long periods. And and equities, including real estate and, and stocks, are good inflationary hedges, but 
holding periods matter. And we talked about it in a previous episode about the tax treatment, but now we're talking about it in terms of giving an asset time to do what it's supposed to do. And I think that as information moves faster, particularly in the world of investments, it encourages people to make decisions based on really short-term things. And, and that's why I say again that illiquidity is your friend if it allows you to ignore whatever today's value is and allow the asset to perform over time as it's intended to. So, so quickly, you know, business cycles are just that, they're cycles. And while those cycles have definitely lengthened, technology has aided that a lot, inventory control and warehousing, and certainly cycles have grown in, in their length, but they're still cycles. They're, they're longer, they're not extinct. And, and when you get into an illiquid investment, and I personally believe that the private markets are a little better structured to promote good behavior in this area, um, you're hiring a manager. You're hiring a manager for a skill set and an expertise that they've developed over time. And they need time to put those skills to work, to identify opportunities, to execute on opportunities, which often present themselves in the negative or the down part of a cycle. And so not having the value reported back to you multiple times a day or every day encourages people to say, I've hired somebody who's skilled in this area to do what they do and let them do it. And, and then the other part about um, the private markets is, you know, they gain commitments from investors on the front end. They know that they have what we would call dry powder. They know they have resources to work with, but they don't call in that, that dry powder until it can be effectively put to work. Right. So it gives the manager, whether it's you or somebody else in a different type of investment arena, it gives them the opportunity to go looking for opportunity and only call for the investment when they know they can productively deploy it. And, and I think that's set up for better psychology. That's a great point. So thanks for joining us today. You're listening to the Passive Investor Podcast with Matt Doran and Aaron Merriman. And today we're discussing the importance of embracing illiquidity. Um, you know, something that you touched on there, Matt, too, that, that uh, you know, we, we talk about tax a lot. And, and it's something that I think a lot of people don't really think about too much when they go into an investment. But, you know, back to my earlier comment about the value appreciation, you know, whether it's this... Now, a stock is obviously liquid, but, you know, any, at least at this point, you know, you're not, you're not paying tax on appreciation, right? So if, if a stock or a piece of real estate or whatever, you know, a private investment with a PE firm or, or a company, if that thing's going up in value, you're not paying tax on that. So it's a, it's a good strategy um, if you are looking for tax efficient stuff versus investing in something that's turning over a lot and, and maybe it's less than a year and so it's being you know taxed at ordinary income. Um, so, so that's something that we we talk about as well, you know when we're educating folks about 
you know, what we do and the different kinds of properties that we'll go into. But you're, you're right as far as, you know, being able to be nimble and knowing, you know, we really know the markets that we invest in. We're, we're hyper-focused. So, you know, we, we know if something's a deal or not a deal and we're not going to overpay. And sometimes that means having cash on the sideline. Um, because when you, when you buy wrong, it, it can sometimes take a really long time for the grass to grow. You know, think about people that were buying real estate, at least in my area, in, you know, 2007, 8, and 9. I mean, it took a long time for those things to come back. Yeah, and, you know, in in my world, I, I refer to this phenomenon as the difference between building wealth and making money. You know, I, I would tell you that a lot of what is, air quotes, investing behavior is not investing at all. It's speculation, Right? When somebody buys something, regardless of what it is, with because they think it's immediately going to go up in price, that's a more speculative um, activity versus an investment, which is because there's a long-term trend in place, or there's a technology or an improvement or a um, you know some some positive force that will that will change the landscape. And that's why I say successful investing is about having faith in the future and those trends that support wealth creation rather than XYZ stock just had a great announcement and I think it's going higher. Um, and, and I'm not opposed to those things either. I just don't want to confuse them, right? There's a difference between building wealth and making money. And we go to work every day to make money when we put our money to work um, to build wealth, that's a different activity. Yeah. And, you know, there's been so much of that kind of, you know, you're, you're calling it speculation. I, a lot of it to me is gambling. <laughs> but there's, there's been a lot of that over the last year with some of these stocks. And it's, it's almost like, you know, if you want to do it, that's fine. But don't bet the farm on it. It needs to be a pretty small allocation of your of your overall strategy, right? Um, I mean, t- touch touch a little bit from your side, and and when you're talking to to clients about how you coach them on thinking about this is long term. Where you know you may be already retired, maybe you're retired in 10, 20, 30 years, but you know, this is the mindset that I want you to have, not, hey, check my app every 10 minutes. Well, yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of rules of thumb out there, you know, and a popular rule of thumb used to be that if you subtracted your age from 100, you know, you'd wind up with the amount of stocks you should own or, you know, whatever. And I I think everybody's circumstances are so different that rules of thumb can be harmful. And But if we talk about when the need to access the capital is likely to be, it creates a different framework for how money ought to be invested. I've had recently a number of conversations with folks who've worked hard, saved well, invested successfully, and have built wealth that will last well beyond their own lifetime. So why would we be investing it based on their age? If the, if the ambition is to pass it to future generations, 
shouldn't that have a role in what kind of investments the client holds, right? And and once again, hearkening back to a previous episode about tax treatments and step up in cost basis and, you know, structures that create efficiencies, I think wealth creation and the transfer of wealth that has been created um, have more to do with when the capital might be needed than anyone's age. And a lot of wealth has been built in this country through illiquid assets like land and you know, homes and commercial buildings. And if I could go back in time and, and buy property in, in some really desirable locations, you know, certainly I'd do that. But it doesn't involve checking the value every single day and seeing what I could cash out for. That's a great point. And, you know, it does it does feel like a lot of the older meth. I don't know if older is the right term, but a lot of the methodologies that we all kind of grew up with through college and, and post-college was preparing for your income or your wealth to go down when you retire. And at least with a lot of investors that I have, it's the exact opposite of that. So why would you take this strategy of dialing everything back? You know, think about your legacy. Think about your you know, think about your heirs or what, whatever that might be, whether it's through a foundation or, you know, charity, like why not set everybody up, you know, the most, the, the best way and not just shut everything down because you're not working anymore. Yeah, um, and, and, so and so I, that, that's a good point. I think there's an interesting inflection point too, for, you know, for people who've worked hard, live below their means and, and put, resources to work for the future, you know, by the time they walk away from the income that comes from work, the assets that they've accumulated are substantial enough to replace or maybe even improve that income, right? And so if the assets are then producing income, why would be we be looking to liquidate those assets? And, and, and that's the whole point is that the resources now produce income instead of your effort doing it. And we go to work every day to make money. So once again, the difference between building wealth and making money, assets can produce income. And so I think the North Star is building assets and net worth rather than, you know, buying something at this price and selling it at that one. And while we're on that topic, I mean, everybody's heard buy low, sell high, but the opposite is much more common um, because of the liquidity that comes with investing today. I mean, you can buy something and sell it two seconds later. And so that's a recipe for emotion to play an outsized role in the, in the equation. Yeah, no, no, that, that's so, that's so true. I mean, I, you know, I think about, uh, and as we kind of jump into parting thoughts here, I, you know, I think a lot about, just the properties that we buy, okay? So most of the properties that we buy, um, they're, you know, they're off market or they're, you know, some kind of pocket listing, but it's a lot of, you know, families, right? And dad, you know, dad and, and mom were buying properties through the, you know, maybe as far back as the 70s and, you know, the 80s and the 90s. 
and they got comfortable with an area that happened to be where we like to invest. And so they've, they've really built up some amazing portfolios over the years and they just continue to operate and grow it. And, you know, they've either passed or, you know, they're elderly and, and the kids don't want to do it. They'd rather just cash out. But it's, it's a lot of that kind of discipline around, uh, obviously, again, it's real estate. It's more illiquid than, than a publicly traded uh, security. But it's that discipline of, you know, seeing, seeing an opportunity, growing it slow year over year. And all of a sudden, they've got this, you know, I mean, we, we've seen 20, 30 million dollar portfolios that have just been built up over over 40 years that, you know, as they sit are creating some nice income for somebody, but they there's this just this huge value that that is ready to be unlocked. So um, so part, parting thoughts, Matt? Uh, know thyself, right? I mean, illiquidity yeah. is your friend if you're apt to feel the need to react to news and events. And, and again, I, I said this at the outset, balance is the key. We need both. The problem is in the modern world, there's probably too much focus on liquidity and less in the equation that is illiquid. I believe that they work best together. No, great, great point. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody, today as we talk about embracing illiquidity. Join us next time as we discuss tax-efficient retirement investing. For more information on LMDG, you can visit lmdg.net. And for examples of some of our projects or see more videos from Matt and I, you can also visit youtube.com backslash lmdgre. Or you can email me directly at amerriman at lmdg.net. For more information on Sage Wealth Planning, you can visit sagewealthplanswithans.com. Or you can email Matt directly at mdoran at sagewealthplans.com.